Welcome to the Akeen Mind Podcast. My name is Jude Johnson, and I'm a licensed therapist and mindfulness meditation teacher. And most people struggle with stress and feel overwhelmed when they can't keep up with life's demands. That's why I teach mindfulness and meditation, because it truly helps people find more joy and peace in life. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about how to rewire the brain for happiness and decondition negativity because the brain's number one priority is survival. Our need to stay safe and survive has made us overly sensitive to potential threats. And while detecting threats could save our lives under the right conditions, much of what we see as threatening are really just stressful events that don't require an immediate response. This episode will explore six ways that our brains make us vigilant to threats and how we can decondition this response by taking in the good. Following the talk, there'll be a guided meditation. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and give me a rating so I know how I'm doing and so that other people can find this podcast as well. And I appreciate the people that have subscribed and given me a rating. It really means so much. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. So I believe that one of the best ways that we can rewire the brain for happiness and decondition negativity is to use humor. Finding the humor in a situation, being able to laugh at ourselves when we mess up or we make a mistake and I realized that some situations, humor is not appropriate, right? It just doesn't make sense for us in that moment. It can only make things worse in some moments. But I know in working as a therapist and hearing traumas and difficulties from people, if I stayed serious all the time and I couldn't laugh or see the lighter side of things, that I would probably end up being very depressed and very negative and not see much hope in things. And I went to a training with a neuroscientist who also happened to be a stand-up comic. And his position on this was, is that if you can make people laugh, you will help them live longer. And he seemed to think that there was a lot of evidence for this in the science. And I mean, who doesn't love to laugh? When we're really laughing, you get one of those belly laughs, you can almost forget about all the troubles of the world for a moment. They may come right back that next moment, but in that moment of laughter... It's a moment of beauty. And Abraham Lincoln said that, Were it not for my little jokes, I could not bear the burden of this office. I've seen what a laugh can do. It can transform almost unbearable tears into something bearable, even hopeful. Being able to laugh during difficult times, not at our pain, not in some kind of mean or sadistic way, but being able to find some humor, being able to smile. We've all heard the the saying, I have to laugh to keep from crying. And I think some of the best comics that I've ever heard are the ones that can really tell the truth about their pain and about their difficulty, but to do it in a way that we can relate to so that we can have some kind of joy within the pain. I love this prank that was done by some high school students out in Montana. I had heard this off the Tara Brock podcast where she shared that these high school students released 
three goats, and they numbered them, one, two, and four. So you can imagine that the administration was busy looking for number three. They couldn't seem to let it go because that's the way our brains work is that we want to fill in all of the gaps and we're focused on what we see as the problem rather than seeing what else could be. Maybe you all have seen that little dot puzzle. I I think it's a nine dot puzzle. And in order to solve the puzzle, you have to think outside of the dimensions of those nine dots. If you stay within the nine dots, you're not going to be able to solve the problem. And if we, we use the same kind of thinking that created a problem that we're dealing with in order to try to solve it, that's kind of insanity. We have to become more creative with how we approach these things. And I think negativity and focusing in on all the threats in our environment and all the stressors and reacting to them the same way can really cause a lot of difficulty for us. And it would be helpful if we could try to see the lighter side of things. But, you know, the truth is that it's not really our fault that we have a tendency to focus on the negative. There are actually six ways that the brain keeps looking for threats and trying to avoid them. And the first one is that we have a level of vigilance in anxiety when we're awake and going throughout the day. Um, This is when our default network is active, and it's basically tracking our environment and looking for potential threats. Think about when you're walking to your vehicle and you're in a large parking lot. If you're not absolutely glued to your phone, and that could be dangerous in and of itself, what are you doing? Okay, you're probably looking around, but what are you looking for? Maybe your car, of course, right? But you're probably scanning unconsciously for anything that would be out of the ordinary that could be threatening to you. The next is that we have a sensitivity to negative information. Negative experiences are detected so much faster than positive ones. Um, Our brain is drawn to threats because it's trying to keep us alive. So we process so much quicker negative events than we do positive ones. And our brain has high priority storage. This means that your brain is like Velcro for the negative experiences and Teflon for the positive ones. You know, once an event is flagged as a negative event, the part of your brain known as the hippocampus stores this event for future reference. Because The brain wants to know, oh boy, is this situation anything like something I've been through in the past? And if it is, I better be on guard. I better be watching out. The next is lingering traces. So that even if you've unlearned a negative event, um, there's a trace that remains ready to be reactivated if a similar event occurs. It's down there in the brain that, you know, sometimes we have these immediate responses to stressful situations and we're like, why am I reacting this way? 
And it's likely because there's a trace of some other event that you've been through that's similar to what you were experiencing in that moment. And lastly, this really creates a vicious cycle. And it can make you really feel pessimistic. It can make us start to become overreactive, which leads us to creating more negative events. You know, the negativity bias, and that's what I've really described as six ways that the, that the brain and the body really wire in negativity. And here's some examples that has been found in studies to show how this shows up in our lives. Research says that in a relationship, it typically takes five positive interactions to make up for one single bad interaction. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. You, you go to work, you, you come home, and if somebody asks you how your day was, what does your brain gravitate towards? I mean, if we're honest, our brain typically gravitates towards the person who cut us off, the person who let us down, the person who was rude. Whatever the story may be, that's where the brain tends to go to because of the negativity bias. And, you know, people will work so much harder to avoid losing something than they will work to gain something of equal value. So if I told you that, uh, you know, you needed to follow this mindfulness program for 21 days straight, and if there was a way for me to actually track this, that you would earn $100, that would be somewhat motivating. But what would be even more motivating is if I said you uh, will lose $100 if you don't do it because we value hanging on to and not losing something more than we do gaining, which just shows another example of how focused we can be on the negative. So I know you're thinking, gosh, I get it. The brain is negative. We tend to focus on the negative. So what in the world can I do about that? And what we can do is we can begin to look for things that have gone on in our day that were good, that are factual. And then we can turn into these good experiences. You know, just like a sip of coffee in the morning. You know, maybe you're in so much of a rush in the morning that you just take your first drink of coffee and you're on your way without even really tasting it. But what would it be like if you were able to stop and slow down and savor that first sip of coffee? Okay, so maybe you're not a coffee drinker, but there are other positive aspects of your life that may go unnoticed. So if you can be vigilant about noticing when something positive happens, maybe an unexpected compliment, Maybe something goes smoothly that you didn't expect and you feel good about it for a moment, but remember the brain's kind of Teflon for those positive experiences, so you just let it go quickly. But instead of letting it go quickly, maybe we can allow ourselves to really take it in and hold it in awareness. And if you do this maybe five or six times a day, you'll notice how many opportunities are that you can invite in the good.
And each time something good or pleasant happens, see if you can be present with it for at least 30 seconds. And you know, this is really a private experience. No one needs to know that you're taking in the good. So it's not like that you need to stop and go somewhere else. I mean, your life is happening in that moment. And when that positive thing or that positive event occurs, be vigilant to notice it. Oh, this is a pleasant event. Let me stop and notice how my body feels. Let me notice how my mind is responding to this and let me savor this, hold on to it and keep it in awareness rather than rushing on to the next thing. An excellent time to really take in the good is right before you go to bed. You can reflect on how your day went and begin to look for the things that went well in your day that you appreciated, that you enjoyed, and see if you can pick some things that are really going to captivate your attention and stay with them. You know, 30 seconds would be great if you could stay with it for 30 seconds, but even if you can just do 10 seconds, this can begin to install positive emotions and experiences and help you be more conditioned to think about and really meditate on positive events in your life. But it does take practice. It doesn't just happen automatically. And it might seem silly at first. And you might even be thinking, oh boy, great. Here's somebody telling me just to be more positive and think about the good things when I have all this negative stuff going on. And I'm not even suggesting optimism here. I'm really suggesting realism because our brains are pessimistic because they're focused in on survival. So, you know, it's not our fault that we're focused in on these things. But now that you're aware that that's what the brain does, let's balance it out a little bit and focus in on some of the positive things that happen that we typically overlook and invite those things in. I mean, you can even think of pleasant events that didn't occur today, but maybe last week something really great happened that you can think of. And you can play that event in your mind. And I would encourage you to wake up all the senses, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, and really allow yourself to be present with that positive experience. See if you can allow it to really absorb into the body and mind. Fill the body and mind. Let the feelings be as much as they wish or they want. And hang out there for a little while. Notice what it's like to let it in, to take it in. And what you may find is, oh, I I feel a little silly doing this. Or perhaps if that doesn't come up, you might feel reluctant because you don't think you really deserve to feel good. Or this feels... Uh, you know, kind of selfish or, you know, I'm overly focused on trying to feel good. And, you know, this just is kind of odd. And it may feel odd at first because it's unfamiliar if you're not used to practicing taking in the good. And the good news is, is that you can become more familiar with this practice and it becomes more automatic over time. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but one of the things that I have gotten in the habit of doing is asking my kids, what good happened in their day? What did you love about your day? What are you excited about that's coming up to to kind of gear their minds into thinking more about the positive? Because, 
if I just ask them how their day was, they're either A, not going to want to talk about it, or B, they're going to generally come up with the negative things that happen in their day. And now they're beginning to get wired to ask me, how, what happened good in your day today? You know, um, what good happened? And that helps me too, uh, because I have the same tendency as everyone else does. I think about how my day was, and it kind of goes right into like, well, this didn't go right, or that didn't go right. And we all have those experiences, but notice what it's like to notice the goodness in your life. And this is really directly tied to gratitude. So at the end of the day, end of the night, before you go to bed, Think about the things that worked for you today, and they could be very simple because often good things that happen in our lives are very simple. I mean, just going camping and being out in the cold and not having the luxuries of your bed can make you so grateful when you come home for what you have. You know, the the Stoics often would put themselves in situations that would take away some of the pleasures so that they could appreciate what they really had. Because we have a tendency to take for granted the things that we have until they're taken away. I could be wrong. Someone can correct me on this, but I believe it was Seneca um, who would dress in very modest clothing for a month and would just eat very modest meals, just rice and beans for a month, and said that he would do this because it helped him appreciate the wealth that he did have. It kept him stable and grounded because really even back then he knew that how easy it could be to be swept away and take all this for granted, that we need reminders to be grateful for what we have. So I hope you guys enjoyed this talk. Um, Again, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a rating if you would. Um, Send me a question if you have any questions at jude at akeenmind.com, and I would be happy to answer those for you either directly or on the show. So now we're at the portion of the show where we're going to do a guided meditation. So I would just ask you at this point to make yourself comfortable yet alert and awake If you're in a position to do so safely, you can allow the eyes to close. And we'll just begin by noticing the body and where it's making contact with the surface beneath you. Noticing sensations in the body. Seeing if you can allow the body to be just as it is. As you make space and room for all of your experiences to be as they are. Allow the senses to be awake and see if you can allow the body to soften, to be at ease. And to let any tension or tightness just float in your awareness. There's nothing to do about it. And then gently, kindly shifting awareness and attention to breathing. Just sense and feel your breath flowing in and out. Noticing the breath wherever you can detect it most easily. Nostrils, back of the throat, the chest, the belly, 
Just listen to and follow this breath. There's no need to alter the breath in any way. Are you able to notice the full in-breath and the full out-breath as you're present? Notice where the mind goes when it doesn't want to be present with breathing. Does it go into thinking about the past, the future, the present, making commentary about what's happening? Perhaps images arise. Whatever's arising in the mind, simply notice. Acknowledge what is present. Gently, kindly, yet firmly invite yourself to come back to this breath. Returning again and again to breathing, yet not being resistant when the mind likes to travel away from breathing, but to simply recognize this as part of the meditation. The mind is designed to look for solutions, to begin thinking. Your job is not to stop the thoughts, but to simply notice them and to come back to this breath. Now you're invited to bring attention to what's brought you here. Why have you showed up to practice this meditation? What really matters? This is intention, our aspiration, our longing. Perhaps it's to feel happy, to feel peaceful, feel safe loved, free. You're invited to whisper it to yourself in your mind. May I be, may I feel, and fill in the blank or blanks that make most sense for you. Happy, peaceful, safe, loved, free, confident, and if nothing arises, just know that it will come in its own timing. There's no need to force or judge, but simply rest with the breath if there's nothing present. But if there is, one more time, whisper it to yourself. May I be, may I feel happy, peaceful, safe, loved, free, Softly letting go of these intentions and bringing awareness right back to breathing. Noticing the soft touch of the breath.
Noticing the coolness as you breathe in. The warmth as you breathe out. Noticing the pauses as you breathe in and as you breathe out. You're invited to be curious about the breath. Perhaps even noticing how the body expands as you breathe in and fills with aliveness. And how the body contracts as you breathe out, watching the body let go. And how this process just continues automatically, moment to moment. You're invited now to see if you can bring up a memory, a moment. Could be from today, this week, it could be years ago. But something that was pleasant, something that perhaps made you laugh, made the, made you feel good, perhaps loved, appreciated. Could even be a scene from a funny movie. Something that really touched you, that you appreciated. See if you can envision this moment in your mind's eye. And if you can't see anything, perhaps you can get a sense of the quality of emotion and thought that was present. Notice this event. And if nothing is coming up for you, just rest with breathing. Rest with sound. You can always go back and listen to this again. But if there is an event here, See if you can notice and be aware of how your body was feeling in that moment. Did it feel heavy, light? What did you notice in the throat, the heart, the belly? Nothing has to be present in particular, but notice if there's anything that you can detect here. Be curious. And see if what you notice with sensation and feeling that you can allow those feelings and sensations to really be as much as they wish or want. In essence, savoring. Savoring this event. Allowing yourself to be there. And thinking, and feeling, and seeing, tasting, touching, smelling, whatever senses you can invoke with this situation, be there. If the mind wanders on to something else, just notice where it goes and invite yourself to come back to this event. Notice what it's like to allow the body and mind to be present with a pleasant event. See if you can really help it along, but 
not force yourself, but allow this experience to enrich you. To give the body and mind permission to feel and experience this pleasant event. Softly letting go of this pleasant event and bringing awareness right back to the body breathing. Watching the breath flow in and out. You're invited now to gently move awareness to the skin of the face, the oval of the face. See if you can allow the face to be at ease, soft. Unhinging the jaw, allowing the muscles to relax. Noticing the tongue as it rests in the mouth. Letting it be. Breath by breath, you're invited to draw attention down into the space of the shoulders. Seeing if you can sense and feel the shoulders from the inside out. Noticing what you can. Letting them be. Imagining the shoulders are going from ice to water. Ice to water. Becoming more fluid, more flexible. Imagine the shoulders are going from water to gas, water to gas, becoming even lighter as you're present. Seeing if we can allow the shoulders to drop away from the ears, but without forcing them. And again, if there's tightness or tension that remain in the shoulders, which is often a place where tension is held, just let it float in your awareness. There's no forcing necessary. Just let the shoulders be. Breath by breath, we invite awareness to come right down into the hands. Perhaps noticing how the hands are resting, what they're touching. And to expand awareness from the touch to allowing the awareness to go inside the hands. To see what we're able to sense and feel here. Just be curious. Whether there's warmth, coolness, tingling, tightness, or even non-feeling. See if you can allow the hands to be open, receptive, at ease. Letting be. Breath by breath, you're invited to draw awareness now into the belly. Seeing if you can sense and feel the belly from the inside out. 
perhaps allowing the belly to be soft and undefended, just like a child with nothing to prove. Letting be. Perhaps noticing how when you breathe in, the belly extends on the in-breath and contracts on the out-breath. Noticing the body fill with aliveness as you breathe in, and as you breathe out, see if you can soften down the length of the body, letting it be. Now you're invited to move attention back to the familiar sensations of breathing, watching it flow in and out. Take a few more breaths from this space right here. Now you're invited to simply listen as I share a poem by David White entitled, Enough. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to the life we have refused again and again. Until now. Until now. can give yourself the gift now of coming out of the meditation softly and gently. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Until next time.